Hey, it's Greg Brady. Welcome to the Toronto Today podcast for Thursday, February the 3rd. So, so much going on. A leadership change with the Conservative Party of Canada. I will admit, I'm a little surprised. Didn't see it coming. I sure didn't see it coming a week ago at this time. But the Conservatives moved on Aaron O'Toole, and they'll be looking for a new leader. We delve into some of the reasons why and whether this is a win for the Liberal Party of Canada or not. And Rob Tannenbaum to talk Rock Hall of Fame uh, nominees. They'll settle in, and he's a voter, so it's great to have him on from uh, New York City. He'll decide, and we go into uh, who goes into the Rock Hall and who doesn't, and we get into some of the potential candidacies for some of them on the show as well. It's all in the Toronto Today podcast, and it starts now. Let's start here. The leader who got the most votes across Canada in the most recent federal election, he gone. Forced out by his own party, not the delegates who elected him, just the MPs. That's part of the system that feels a little strange. There's always internal pressure. I think you know that maybe you've had a boss and that boss decided to leave and there was internal pressure, either from below, they, they just couldn't, you know, couldn't get the message out anymore, uh, went to the whip one too many times, uh, just didn't end up being somebody that was a good idea person. I think there's, um, and Aaron O'Toole is in essence a boss, I suppose, for the rest of the conservative MPs, of which there were many, but let's think about this for a sec. Think about the bosses that you've had. Let's relate this back to you. That's the goal of what we talk about sometimes. We're going to hear from Aaron O'Toole and Justin Trudeau in a second, and yeah, we'll update you fully on what's happening in Ottawa on day seven of what some are dealing, uh, deeming an occupation. But there's two things that I think you need in a boss. One is leadership and, and manner of leadership. And those can be two different things. And two, there has to be uh, good things have to happen. Like if you if you don't have that that manner and you don't have that touch, but you're fantastic with ideas, I'm with you. That's great. Okay. I can work around the other stuff. Not everyone can, but I can. And I think with Aaron O'Toole, that was there. If there were principles, uh, but if if uh, people, you know, bristled at at him deciding that he wanted to move the party more towards the middle, which seemed clear. He was more um, um, a middler, if you will, okay, than Andrew Scheer was. And these pandemic times don't make it easy to middle. And I'll explain more on that in a sec. You've got to be able to be an idea person. If you can't be a great idea person, you have to be relatable and have that touch. And maybe you've, like, if you've had a boss who is out of touch, Terrible, terrible mannerisms, uh, likes likes to yell and scream, throw his arms around, and he has bad ideas, and you can't learn anything from him, and you look and say, wow, you don't, like if, if this was radio and I said, not only do you not treat people great, but you don't know what's good. You can try to get me, you know, doing the right things. I love to be coached. A lot of people do. There's a lot of MPs that were looking, I think to Aaron O'Toole for guidance, to drive the bus, to drive party policy. And I think what I was hearing yesterday, mostly from observers, to some extent from people in the government itself was, we'd go left one day and right the other. And I don't even mean politically. There just was not that sense that something was consistent. And yeah, if, if, if somebody said to me, hey, you know what's, what would be good for your show? Take a lot of phone calls. Take endless phone calls. Phone calls are great. And I like phone calls sometimes. But then three days later, they said, guess what? We're moving away from phone calls. I'd be like, what happened in 72 hours? 
why are we making these changes? What's going on? So I, I think a lot of people realize that you got you to gotta be able to pivot. You got to be adaptable to change. And what I was hearing yesterday, and you may feel the same about Aaron O'Toole if you voted for him or if you didn't, was simply put, there just wasn't enough planting your feet hard down into the ground and holding firm on an issue. Vaccine mandates seem to be all over the place to some extent. Um, although not to the same extent, I, I get it. Listen, you and you're going to go, Greg, what about Justin Trudeau? What about Justin Trudeau? Well, Aaron O'Toole can only be Aaron O'Toole. Andrew Shear could only be Andrew Shear. And now Justin Trudeau, this is a big job, and I'm going to get to that also. It's a huge job now. Justin Trudeau's beaten three, three different conservative leaders. Stephen Harper, Andrew Scheer, Aaron O'Toole. And you're going to trot out a fourth in maybe a year and a half, maybe coming out of a pandemic? Big ask. 289-975-1640 is the text line, by the way. 289-975-1640. I want to know if you're a conservative voter, if you like this move, if you think it's a mistake. And a third question for you, does this demonstrate a concerted effort among conservatives to push the party further right? And I think that's an honest question because many are going to say that won't work in Canada. There's two things that don't work in the United States, pulling too far in either direction, in either direction to get gut, to get governance. And, uh, as well, the media factor too. We don't have a Fox news here. It wouldn't work. They tried it. It was called sun TV. It was a disaster. Uh, we, we can't really have an MSNBC here. I know some of you will point and say, well, that's CBC, fine, but then we can get into whether that would work as a private corporate entity without government funding. We can talk about that. And none of this has anything to do with talented news directors, executives, uh, broadcasters. Peter Mansbridge is my friend um, by his book, but that's got nothing to do, you know, it's got nothing to do with the people who give you the news. But we don't do MSNBC and Fox, and I'm not sure we go too far right in Canada, where we have socialized health care, and we try not to let the bottom fall out on people like the United States does. Here's audio from Aaron O'Toole talking about stepping aside. This afternoon, I stepped down as leader of Her Majesty's loyal opposition and leader of the Conservative Party of Canada following a Reform Act vote in our caucus. It was an honor of a lifetime to lead the party of Sir John A. Macdonald and Confederation. He went and listed some other prime ministers as well. And I thought, you know, you know, he's right. The Conservative Party has some distinct history. He got elected as as uh, the leader of the opposition party, which we still was until yesterday or still will until uh, it still was until last night on August 24th, 2020. I mean, if you told me after. Andrew Scheer was, in essence, pushed out, what, two weeks? I started hearing, we started hearing drum beats. I remember having an interview with Mercedes Stevenson on 640 Toronto about eight days after the election. I feel like the election was on a Tuesday, and I feel like the very next Wednesday, Scheer's going to be gone. Then there was the controversy about um, his kids' private school and whatnot. Um, he, it was not a survivable um, hill for Andrew Scheer. But Aaron O'Toole held the seats at 119. They didn't lose any. And in a pandemic, in a snap election, when, let's face it, a lot of us didn't want to be bothered with it, didn't want to vote. We had our eyes on our own circumstances. We're juggling a lot of balls in the air. Aaron O'Toole still ended up winning the popular vote. And uh, and I think to endure, to outlast, 
he'd have been the next prime minister. He'd have been the next prime minister. Can anyone deny that? Did you think Justin Trudeau was going to beat Aaron O'Toole again and win a fourth election against the and maybe not even win the minority the majority vote again? But the way we distribute seats makes it a lot harder. It was one fifty five to one, uh, rather one sixty to one nineteen. Here's more on Aaron O'Toole, and I think this is a message to some extent. I thought he was a serious threat to the Liberals, and and pulling the party to the center was the difference. And later in the show, I'm going to talk about whether I think this and whether you think this weekend and the truckers and some of the um, uh, less desirable far right wing elements, some of which are still in Ottawa, impacted this decision. Again, we're only asking honest questions here. Here's more on Aaron O'Toole on how to unite the party and how a party divided just can't move forward. Canada is in a dire moment of our history. You need only take a walk down the street in front of Parliament to see how divided we are. So my message to my party is the same I will give to the Prime Minister and members of Parliament on all sides of the House of Commons. Audi alterum partum. Hear the other side. Listen to all voices, not just the echoes from your own tribe. Realize that our country is divided and people are worried. Work together because how we as leaders act now will define the next generation. Yeah, there's a lot of that there. And I think the liberals are thinking about this, just absolutely tightening the screws, sharpening the knives. They know, they know that Canadians are not pleased with the prime minister right now. So do they survive with Justin Trudeau or will Trudeau have to exit gracefully, a la Brian Mulroney, before the 1993 election when the bus was about to drive over him. We talk about this all the time as to whether Kathleen Wynne should have gotten right out of the way, right out of the way and given the Liberal Party to somebody else going into the 2018 election. You know that they'd have more than seven seats right now. You know that they would. But remember, you can only unite around one leader. And I don't know what unites the Conservatives anymore. There's going to be people, Saskatchewan MP Corey Tosher said this, we needed a new captain to bring us all together. Well, okay, but your captain got the most votes in the last election. Uh, Tosher says as well that leader needs to, quote, be a good listener, has to listen to caucus, has to reach out. I'm more than willing to understand what Aaron O'Toole wasn't and what he did not do during the election campaign. I got it. And some of that is very fair criticism. Who's to say the next one's going to get that done? Who's to say the next person, whether it's Pierre Polyev, who I think it will be, whether it's Pierre Polyev, whether it's uh, whether it stays Candace Bergen. Um, Polyev's a fighter. I got that. He's good copy. There's no doubt about that. But is he only popular with conservatives that lean far more right than left? Can you utilize the video of him on the weekend talking to truckers and say that's a positive or that's a negative. Okay. He endorsed the trucker protesters, people in Ottawa. I'm going to get to this in a sec are miserable right now. Are we looking now we're talking to our friends in Ottawa, six days in going, I can't believe that. I can't believe you're going through that. I can't, I, I wouldn't want to be you right now. I feel so bad. Well, Pierre Polyev was behind the trucker protesters, which looked good Friday and Saturday. And he made some points that seemed to hit with 
many Canadians, maybe not most, but many. Remember, there's a big difference between those two words, as I like to point out. So do the Trudeau liberals look at this and say, thanks. This is actually an easier opponent uh, to, 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 you know, to sword fight against next election. Justin Trudeau did say this in conciliatory fashion to Aaron O'Toole yesterday via Zoom because he's isolating for COVID-19. I'd like to begin uh, by recognizing the member for Durham uh, and thanking him for his service. Uh, there is a, a lot we don't agree on for the direction of this country, uh, but he stepped up to serve his country. And I want to thank him uh, for his sacrifice and also particularly uh, Rebecca, Molly and Jack uh, for being part of uh, what is a very, very difficult life for uh, even the most successful of us. Not wrong. And that's another theme that I want to hit on this morning is the difficulty in terms of getting the best people in politics. You give up a lot. You submit yourself, subject yourself to a lot of abuse. The online world ain't pretty right now. Maybe you're in a front facing job and you feel it. I spot it. I've got thick skin. I can take it. I can take some constructive criticism and ignore the rest of it. I can ignore the noise. It's harder for politicians. It's harder for people who are uh, with young families. It's certainly harder for women. It's certainly harder for people of color. Are we missing out on the best people that could go into private industry, make two or three times the money, by the way, also, or they don't need the money at all, and they're getting right out saying, I don't need this kind of scrutiny. I don't need people digging through my garbage, literally and figuratively. There's that to consider as well. Um, I'm going to hold this clip from the police chief uh, in Ottawa, but there's a lot on the ground in Ottawa right now. Um, a gentleman that was on with us uh, way back in the fall of 2020 talking about lineups for uh, for getting COVID tests back when we started doing that in uh, when we went back to school six months into COVID wrote this yesterday on Twitter. Kiyavash Najavi wrote, do we fight back? Think about that sentence. Do we fight back? That's the question more and more Ottawa neighbors are asking each other as we realize that our leaders have abandoned us. This is a theme. And they're talking about the mayor, Jim Watson, the prime minister, the premier of the province. Ottawa's in Ontario. Um, a lot of Ottawa residents are not quite sure what their next step is. But they know what's happening right now is absolutely unsustainable. And we'll address that later in the morning as well. Our text line, 289-975-1640. Was this the right call for the conservatives to dump Aaron O'Toole? Would Aaron O'Toole have not been the next prime minister? In an election 18 months from now, I don't think you think Justin Trudeau was winning a fourth election against the Conservative Party. Today presents Chatterbox. Chatterbox, a neat, quick look at the stories you're already talking about. What we've got here is failure to communicate. Do you expect me to talk? Or when this is all over, you'll certainly be talking about. Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. That doesn't make sense. Here we go. Hope you can handle the curveballs. Just a bit outside. You just don't get it, do you? How many times have I heard that? Um, sometimes during the show, as a matter of fact. Chatterbox now. We've got our two uh, panelists on. Uh, Takara Small is a tech expert. You've seen her. You know who she is. She's with us on the show uh, making her debut. You could win Rookie of the Year with this appearance, uh, Takara. I'm excited about this. Thanks for having me. You're also, before I get to our next panel, he can wait. You're also from a uh, small town. Tell us the name of the town. Uh, the name of the town is Warkworth. And I see that there's a population currently. I, I, I do my research. 
I do my own research, 903 people. That's that's real John Mellencamp small town stuff, isn't it? It's a bustling place. Um, definitely somewhere on the map people will probably Google and look for after this. <laughs> Workworth. Uh, Alan Carter hosts the Alan Carter radio program. You see him on Global News. He's uh, he's our everyman. He really is. If I kidnapped you, I don't want to tell you what I'm planning later today, put a blindfold on you, made it seem like you were in an episode of Homeland, and dropped you off in, in Warkworth, would you know how to get back to your, your residence? Uh, what, no, I wouldn't, but I'd, just, I'd put down roots. Um, you know, I'd, I'd move in, and I'd make myself comfortable. Man, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Fantastic. It's, uh, yeah, we all want to get out of this... Uh, Hustle and bustle and see where uh, where the snow's actually uh, plowed. We'll get to this, uh, the lack of storm in a little bit. Um, Takara, let's start with you. Big day yesterday. Obviously, when, it, when a federal party uh, basically punts their leader after an election loss, and the conservatives have gotten really comfortable doing this. Um, if you told me, a, like even a week after the federal election last fall, that Aaron O'Toole would be gone by early February, I wouldn't have believed it. What was your reaction to the events that have happened here? Honestly, I wasn't that surprised. I think after the last election, there was online and, you know, certain forums and spaces, there were a lot of people who were saying they were unhappy with the result. So I think, um, and, you know, you've seen previously the Conservative Party have kicked out other leaders that haven't met, um, you know, vote expectations. So it happened quite quickly, but I'm not surprised. Alan, what uh, what do you see here? This was uh, this was was this a person that just wasn't able to unite? That just wasn't able, and and they've struggled with this. It's not like Andrew Shear had a united front going into the twenty nineteen election. He sure didn't emerging from it. Did you see it coming after the election result? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the Tories are um, you know they're impatient. They've been out of power for a long time. They felt that uh, they they feel that Justin Trudeau is beatable. They felt he was beatable both for Shear and for O'Toole. And I think the the big issue for O'Toole is that his wrenching of the party to the, the political center after you know presenting himself as the true blue Tory to beat McKay for the leadership. I mean, it it would have worked if he won, <laughs> but but he kind of you know he kind of pushed all in on it by. You know, he alienated a, a section of the party, and then when it, he didn't pull it off, well, it came home to roost for him. Can they move more from the middle to the right? I've heard so many people say, and I want to get both your reads on this. Alan, can, do, does Canada do notably right-wing politics, and can that be successful? The concept seemed to be find some dissatisfied, um, politically homeless previous Trudeau voters last election and convert them. But if you go further away, if you go further away, I don't know that you can get those people. Well, that's the dilemma for the party, right? I mean, how possibly can the next leader come from a political center? I mean, the way you win a leadership race in the conservatives, whether it's the progressive conservatives in Ontario or the federal conservatives, is you court the right. And then once you, you know, you court the right because they vote and they're organized. And then when you get into power, you do you know, what Patrick Brown tried to do or what O'Toole just tried to do, which is move the party to the center. Both of those party, both of those politicians unsuccessful at doing so and keeping their jobs. And so it's difficult to see how a centrist politician can ever win the leadership of that party. And then you have to ask yourself, OK, if you 
Can you win as a further right of center? I think he still can, because you know what? In this country, what happens is eventually people get tired of whoever's in power, and we switch back and forth between the conservatives and the liberals, or the liberals and conservatives. Eventually, people are going to be like, I can't take this liberal party anymore and elect the conservatives. And sometimes I don't know if it's entirely makes a difference who's the leader. You make a great point there. And sometimes it's more critical. Um, it's, it's more helpful to the federal conservatives when they have a liberal premier here, which we had for a decade and a half. This is why they kind of they kind of hide Doug Ford in a box uh, for two straight election campaigns federally. Takar, do you see it the same way that that it's it's a push? Canadians aren't Americans. We aren't. You know, both countries really well. And and some of the politics down there, we just don't have the stomach for. How do you view it? Yes, I mean. Canada is very different than America. Our politics, our laws, our ideologies are very different. I I think that um, if you're trying to court Canadian voters by using an American playbook, that doesn't make sense um, in any way. Uh, And and I do think, you know, Andrew was a lot more for a right than O'Toole was, than Aaron was, and he also still is no longer the leader. So I think um, you have to think about what do Canadians really want um, what matters to them? We're in a space right now where inflation is up, and it sometimes it feels like everything is getting more expensive, from owning a home um, to buying groceries. But as Canadians, there are values that we hold dear to our heart, um, especially anyone who's dealt with COVID. Um, our healthcare is so important, and it's important that if you feel sick or you get sick, you can go to the hospital, and there's someone there to treat you. Um, so I think it's about leaders um, and what they stand for. Representation is important, but identity even most more so. Takara Small, that's your Alan Carter with us as well. You'll hear the Alan Carter radio program at 12 noon today, of course, right here on 640 Toronto. Um, Whoopi Goldberg, let's let's go there and talk about that. Takara, let's start with you. She, uh, she says what she says. She steps in it about the Holocaust. Not many people would, would say that they were able to follow her. Um, it's hard to it's hard to get the apology right sometimes afterwards. But I think there was a sincerity to her saying this. This is a teachable moment. ABC didn't see it that way. And I was really surprised that she was suspended two weeks. How did you react to it? You know, I feel like this is such a prime example of what has been going on for a while, which is that there are people with massive platforms who say these things and they think, you know, whatever, I I made a comment. But because they have such a huge following, it really has an impact that goes not just across the country and industry, but around the world. And, you know, maybe a couple of years ago, you would see a comment online from someone you don't know, and you're like, eh, whatever. Or a Facebook friend would say something and be like, who is that person? Why am I connected to them still? Um, but you have podcasters, you have, you know, entertainment um, influencers and hosts um, who aren't journalists but say these things and have such a huge impact. And I think it's really, we really need to start thinking like, hey, when you say something um, and you have a platform, there's a responsibility that goes along with it. It's so interesting you say that, Alan. We used to have uh, celebrities that would be, uh, you know, in movies and music. You're such a, a music guy like me. And sometimes, you know, music artists would rarely step out there and they didn't have Twitter accounts and they didn't record minute long, you know, um, you know, memorandums or mission statements about politics. And and this happens a lot more now. It's part of Whoopi's job, I suppose, on that show to weigh in here. Were you surprised she got two weeks? No, not really. And and, and in many ways, I mean, it's 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 such an horrible, like egregious thing that she said. Right. And I yeah. mean, you know, like if Neil Young's going to pull his music because of Joe Rogan, 
you know, I, I, the, the, uh, things are very, I think Takara is totally right. I mean, it's, it, it's almost the same, right? You get these people, these huge platforms, and if there's no accountability for it, there's got to be some accountability for it, for saying something like that, that it you know, wasn't about race. What a ridiculous thing to say and hurtful. And yeah, she's apologized, which is great. I'll take that at face value, but there still has to be consequence for it. And I, I you know, the fact that she still comes to get to come back on the air, she hasn't been canceled altogether. I think there still needs to be some kind uh, of consequence for what she had to say. So I think it's a good move. Yeah, I thought about that. I thought at the time, I'm like, well, there's so much debate about Joe Rogan and, and you know, this and that and misinformation. I'm like, if Joe Rogan says that, and Joe Rogan, by the way, leans more left than right. This is a Bernie Sanders guy. This isn't, we're not talking about, you know, Tucker Carlson or, or, or Ben Shapiro here. It's one of those, it's one of those fascinating things. It's funny, Alan, because Al Franken was on uh, MSNBC talking about it. And I'm like, there's a guy that, again, you know, some photos, he, you know, he had some inappropriate uh, uh, things uh, in terms of pretending to touch somebody on a flight. And the Democrats, like, kind of canceled one of their own. Like, they just they felt the heat from the other party and pushed out one of their most influential senators in, in the U.S. government. Yeah, well, you know. Yeah, uh, corporations and uh, political parties, they don't have much tolerance for controversy, which is, you know, when you do what, what we do for a job, for a living, can be kind of terrifying because eventually you're going to step in it. I mean, it's just a human thing to do. Uh, I just, it just went, the, the larger the platform and the bigger the step in it, the more the corporation that you're working for or the party that you're with is going to say, mm, yeah, you know what, we don't like the heat in the kitchen, we're leaving. Well, we're trying to get Takara to step in it, and she just won't play along right now. It's not. It is not. <laughs> it's not. I don't want her to get uh, emails all all afternoon. Hey, uh, this. Uh, so uh, let's let's get a, let's give a storm rating for where you are. This is this is like you know we end on that lighter note, and we're relieved, uh, Takara, that what happened 17 days ago didn't happen today. Our news anchor Dave Bradley rated this a uh, quote unquote storm a five out of ten. Were we all bracing for much much worse last night? Yeah, it was definitely, I was expecting a lot more. And I'm, I'm in Toronto. I'm not in Warkworth, just to clarify. Um, <laughs> the storm I'm seeing right now is um, quite tame. Um, and I'm enjoying it. I hope there's no one upset that they don't see snow. But I'm okay with this. <laughs> Alan, I know you rushed out and brought, uh, it's the thing to do now, uh, especially for uh, men of our ilk. And, and you went out and bought several small shovels at Canadian Tire. They, they instantly. <laughs> They instantly, they, they, it became a viral sensation to, to ask for shovels that were basically the size of an eight-year-old hockey stick. Um, so were you digging out all morning before joining us? I like, you know what I like? Uh, I like snow forecasting now. Um, that, you know, you, to be able to put out an alert, you have like a, like above or below the level that the premier comes out with a tiny shovel. Where are we today? I think today we are below the mark of the premier of the tiny shovel. Uh, you know, obviously two weeks ago we were at, at, in my, in my neighborhood, it has been aggressively plowed both the street and the sidewalk already. And I think to myself, it, it, it's almost like the city of Toronto, you know, is trying to make up to me. Like, you know, like I broke up with them two weeks ago, like for like, screw you, I'm leaving you. And they're like, please come back because it's, it's all done already, which is kind of incredible. That's a tough feeling though. Like, you know what it's like to spontaneously, uh, you know, bring your wife flowers. And then she's looking at you like, what did you do? And I'm like, I'm just being spontaneous. What the, it's, it's not what I'm about to do. I, I may stay out late a couple nights from now and 
and have an extra pint with a friend of mine, but whatever. Like I, I, these are preempt. These aren't, this is not a preemptive strike here. I'm not sending you a warning shot one way or the other. Gar, I got to read you this text. Uh, Darren and Markham uh, texted in, Hey Greg, my whole family is from uh, Warkworth. Such an amazing place. Legit. A community center, a church, and an LCBO. I don't need to know Darren's problems, um, and it's been a long, long twenty months. But he references the LCBO. Amazing little town to grow up in. So there you have it. You've, you've touched somebody today. <laughs> That's great. Um, he literally just highlighted the only uh, businesses <laughs> and institutions in that town. Um, so if you ever were curious what you'd find there, that's it. <laughs> he didn't mention groceries or medicine or pharmacies. He went right to the L. He played right to the LCBO card. So it's uh, it's great to know the demographic of our of our listeners. I think that's an important thing to, to document. Takara Small, thank you very much for the time. Alan Carter, thank you for also your time. And we'll be listening at noon today. Well, thank you very much. Always great to talk to you. Great Thanks. to have you both on. Kelly Cotrera in on the Kelly Cotrera Show, 9 to noon today. Uh, in for her tomorrow. It's a pretty familiar name to a lot of us. Uh, she'll be in, and we're having a, this is like a, like almost like a dental cleaning before the surgery tomorrow. Uh, Pei Chen joins us now. Uh, she'll be in for Kelly on the show tomorrow. It's great to have you in. Not that I, I don't hope there's no PTSD from going to the dentist. I hope you haven't had a bad experience with a dentist or orthodontist in your past, and we've gotten off to a bad start if you have. <laughs> you know what, Greg? I used to have so much fear of the dentist. I love my dentist in Toronto. He is so amazing, and the hygienists are fantastic. I'm always telling people about them. So now I'm like, oh, yeah, cleaning. I'm in. I'm in. They seem happier. They seem happier to have you. They'll call you for appointments. Doctors are like, oh, God, you need to see me again. Dentists are like, come on. I think it's something to do with getting paid. I could be wrong about that pay. I could be wrong. Yeah, and, and it's like, uh, it's not even a six-month cleaning. They're like, no, you're going to come back in four months. I'm like, oh, I, I, sooner. Oh, oh, oh okay. <laughs> Oh, you want to take care of teeth better for uh, us in this century than you did in the yes, 1970s. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, I can uh, I, I can feel that. Um, so you're in tomorrow. I think a, a lot of talk about um, Ontario restrictions, I think. And, and with everything that's gone on in Ottawa, the Conservative Party, that's a little bit under the radar. It's still weird to think that we just opened things back up on Monday. And those of us who've been either digging out from snow or or, you know, managing kids in school. Um, we haven't really got out. I've been to the gym a couple of times and that's lovely, but does it feel like the city's reopened, the provinces reopened, the people are a lot more out and about? What's, what's your anecdotal uh, thought on it? Well, like you, I hit the gym. Like Monday, I was so excited to be, you know, back in the, the little gym that I go to, to do a class. Uh, I ate indoors at a restaurant yesterday for lunch. So I've been looking forward to that. Um, I think everyone's just now, like we've been burned enough times that, or that, you know, cautiously optimistic. There was that small window in the summer. Do you remember when we thought we are over this? Like we're getting over the hump and we're going back to normal. We're, back, right we're vaccinated, right? We're double yeah, vaccinated. Right. We're moving it up. Well, yeah, we're moving it oh, down the road. Yeah, yeah. So great. Eat indoors, eat outdoors, do whatever you want. Um, you know, book a concert ticket. It's fine. It's going to happen. And now it's like, yeah, I, I don't know. In case we, you know, scale back again. Um, I also think because it's winter, people just maybe got used to staying inside and aren't, you know, going out as much. And for a lot of businesses, I will say, um, like a lot of small businesses that I am aware of, they're afraid of, you know, opening the way that they used to. So they've maybe cut back hours, places like restaurants that maybe used to open, you know, Monday through Saturday are now only opening 
towards the end of the week when they know they'll be busy. They may not be doing lunch service anymore. Maybe it's only evenings. Even my gym, they cut back on their schedule. It's also a staffing issue. It's paying people and hoping that you get enough business that you can actually pay your employees. Hey, Jenna's our guest, Toronto Today. She's in for Kelly uh, tomorrow, uh, right after our show, when uh, when we we wrap for the week. I'm so glad you said that because, yeah, if you if you went back a year ago, you wound the clocks back to February 2021, and if you told people, well, kids won't be in school in mid-April. Oh, also, they'll close golf courses and tennis courts when the weather finally gets nice for five entire weeks. You're right. Like we've been burned so many times, it's hard to predict that the end is in sight because it's been it's been Lucy with the football too many times, hasn't it? Absolutely. And I, I think as a consumer like I am, I, I, I'm ready. I'm ready to hit the gym. I'm ready to go to restaurants. I'm ready to sit inside a coffee shop. Um, but it's what's available to us may be scaled back. So those people who are offering the services, they're more hesitant. For example, there's a small little um, nail salon that I go to. She's only brought back one employee throughout COVID because of the way she keeps having to scale back and be in lockdown. So that also means if you want to book an appointment to get your nails done, it's not as easy. So we might be willing to go to these businesses, but those businesses have been burned so many times that it's not necessarily worth it for them to offer us the same level of service or availability that we're used to. And it's hard to, you know, think how hard it is to tell an employee one time, you know, either we got to lay you off permanently or we got to lay you off for a couple of weeks. Imagine going back to that employee, imagine going back to, um, you know, an assistant manager at a restaurant or somebody that, that waits tables. I used to wait tables like it. it imagine telling them that five times within a year and a half span, you're laid off again. I'll, I'll, I'll let you know when we need you back. Demoralizing doesn't even cover it, does it? Well, and the challenge is, too, for hospitality, and because Toronto, we have so many hospitality workers, whether it's, you know, hotels or food service. Um, because of what you've just said, a lot of them left the industry. And those, when they're able to rehire again, now, you know, bumping it up a little bit above minimum wage, having to factor in the cost of being in business, food costs, um, packaging costs, um, staffing costs. And a lot of people who, like you said, who were servers, maybe cooks, um, they they can't deal with that tumultuous employment anymore. So even finding staff for a lot of these businesses, that's the big challenge. It's a huge, huge challenge. Um, we're tied for, t- what'd you eat yesterday? What t- like, I, I, oh, I, I want to know what the experience was like. Cause it feels like it's been six weeks <laughs> since I've been in a restaurant. Uh, I went to a really great place called Shook, which is at Portland and King Street. I think they opened up just before the pandemic, and so they've been open and closed, open and closed. Um, it's vegetarian, beautiful, delicious, fresh, you know, Middle Eastern-inspired food. Uh, it was lovely. It, there were not very many people in there because I think, you know, people are just slowly going back to dining indoors. But what a nice experience to have, you know, hot food brought to me and someone to do the dishes instead of me <laughs> you see and and you're a, you're a well-known foodie aren't you really you're you're deep you're deep into it you're 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 in the weeds on food i i'm, in the weeds I, I'm good with applebee's yeah. from time to time you know I enjoy, yes and i you know and i like you know as a food writer um you know i write a lot of stories to profile small businesses and you know whether it's their successes it's also the challenges that they face um and my parents were a small business owner food owners and they were put out of business by COVID. so you know, this sort of challenge rings very true to me. And, uh, you know, I always try to, you know, like fight for the small guys in many ways. That's so, that's so interesting. My mom, basically, she, she, I was the oldest of three kids. And basically when, when I got to be 15, she basically retired from cooking. Like she had a news conference. There were, there was media there. She just basically quit. She quit. She kept mothering and, and, and still, yeah, she kept writing some checks, but making elaborate dinners. 
Uh, she was done with it by that point. In time. Protest. That's what I wanted. Was, yeah, that's what it felt. Yeah, it was a twenty-year protest. She went on strike for twenty years <laughs> for uh, for uh, for cooking for us. So uh, I have a very rudimentary skills and uh, and needs uh, as uh, in the kitchen on a regular basis. Hey, um, hey listen, suggestions. <laughs> oh, totally. Exactly. It'll be great to lead into your uh, you being in for uh, for Kelly tomorrow, and uh, and welcome to the squad. We're so happy you're with us. Thank you. I'm excited to be there. Gordon and I put masks on when we walk through the hallways at the at the office and whatnot. And de- but I bet you none of us have had like what's the longest any of us have had an N95 on for? An N95. I've had a medical grade mask on. Um, I flew, so uh, it was. Oh. yeah, it was a good probably eight hours. Oh, brutal. I, I think I got all you beat. Oh, I got all you beat. Twenty twenty. I had a second job to uh, pay for my extravagant behavior, and uh, I worked at UPS. So I had to wear that mask. All day from about ten o'clock to five, and it wasn't it wasn't an N95. It was a one of those medical masks. So it's but not. You, could, the, you weren't allowed to wear a cloth, probably. No, you had to wear what they provided for you. And so, so what was it like at the, at the end of the day? At like the end of the day, marks? Did your face feel burned? No, well, just look. You know, as you because you're working and you're lifting parcels, and some of them are heavy and whatnot. It did. You started breathing a little heavier, and that's when the. Uh, the uh, the mask came into play because you know I also wear glasses and so you never get them adjusted properly they'd fog up so you couldn't see or I had to pull them over the front of the mask and now it's not my prescription working and so I couldn't see and so yeah it was it was a very long time of adjustment and I was there and I left in about uh, nine months I don't even know what my coworkers look like because they all were wearing masks all the time I never yeah. even saw them without a mask on. Mm. And- and now, after all those accidents, you need a second job to pay for your car insurance. Rate. That's right. Good thing I uh, still have the my my pointer finger left, so then I can just press these buttons. <laughs> so I uh, I get this message this morning um, that it's my I have an anniversary of Twitter, and I'm like, don't remind me again, a that I'm on there, and b that I'm on there as much as I am. But it's my 13 year anniversary of Twitter. So a bunch of like birds flew up in the air when I logged on this morning. Oh. I don't know if you guys, you know how you can text somebody <laughs> happy birthday on the phone. Yes. And like fireworks go off and all that. So all four of us are on it. I wish yeah. I could show you the original emails. And it was a previous program director of this station, not the ones you're thinking about, uh, that was like, I wish I could. Sh- he must have, he must have sent me four emails. And he's like, hey, I, you're not responding to these. I, we need you to be on Twitter. And I wish I could show you the urgency because now I think bosses are like, will you just stop it on there and cut it out? But, Get off um, Twitter. <laughs> exactly. Like, did, did all of us have a boss convince us that we needed to go on? Is this universal, given we all do what we do? Yeah, for me, pretty much it was. It was, But <laughs> I, I found it to be somewhat handy in that uh, a lot of different news organizations uh, keep posting on Twitter. So you, you get to see, especially in other areas of the world and, and other countries. So when there's breaking news happening, you, you can sort of keep up to date on that. Uh, fairly quickly. It's almost like another newswire in some respect. And then, of course, you have to fact check and make sure it's all legit. That's that's another angle. There have been a lot of deaths, a lot of, a lot of and every time I see a person over 60 trending on that right corner of the screen, I'm like, oh, no, oh, no. Oh, and sometimes it's real. Like, like <laughs> Betty White trended a bunch of times over the last decade before yes. what happened at Christmas time or right before. She was on the cover of People magazine, right? I saw it in the store that they had to change it. Like, what's life oh, like at terrible. 100? Well, we don't know. Sheba, when well, did I you get on? I have been on Twitter the same, same amount of you. 
13 years. It's been 13 years for me as well. Um, and I loved it. At first, I loved it. You know, it's so interesting because I had actually met uh, a group of female journalists through Twitter at that time. And we all decided, we're all from different parts of North America. We all decided to meet up in New York City for a trip together. So we went to New York City for four or five days uh, in person because we'd building this we'd been building this relationship on Twitter and it was yeah. it was such a cool experience because none of us knew each other at all before then and it did cross my mind that okay I could be going to meet up with somebody at a hotel you know it could be a serial killer or whatever but then after you know we broke that ice women, we got over that we fact. had the yeah. best time they were and we're friends to this day but I feel like Twitter has really evolved since then. It's a whole other beast now, and it's just, it's definitely not as fun. Gord, I, I think. Uh, Anyone when, agree with when me? The, when the transcripts yeah. of those uh, New York visits are released, we'll get we'll find out what women really talk about when the rest of it. <laughs> <are around. laughs> I think we'll finally, I think we know, but this will confirm it. I think I've been on around the same amount of time, but my, I'm just scrolling back through my tweets, and it only goes back to October 14th, where the picture was uh, uh, a block of wood that says, in dog beers, I've only had one. <laughs> oh, okay. That's that's the kind of things I was tweeting about back then. That's strong. That's a really yeah. That's a great I just start had spaghetti right there. and meatballs. I just had spaghetti and meatballs for lunch, and you get like one like, and you're like, great. I'm, I'm I wish your, though going viral. Glad you're eating. I wish though, if they, I don't, then they may have it. If you have some kind of filter where you get one of those bots that only have like you know they don't follow any, or they don't have any followers, or they only have ten followers, you know those ones that that don't have a picture. If you could filter out those, if they have like a certain level of you followers. can you got to oh, go you? into settings and do that. All right, you you, See? you can obviously have nobody respond to you if they don't already follow you, which is a good thing because that limits the bots. Okay. Um, I mean, is it the most obvious thing in the world to say the one thing they need to fix about it is is the anonymity factor? You should back it with your credit card and an address, and so when threats are made and terrible things are said. But, but nobody feels that level of accountability. It's the one thing that needs to be fixed. I know they'd say, well, we'd lose a bunch of people. And I'm like, oh, well, too bad for you. I think the edit function needs to be fixed. I mean, there is no edit function. So you post something, it'd be nice to go back and be like, oh, I have a typo there. Rather than posting another one and making a thread or removing the first one altogether. I think that would be a, a really good improvement. But I, I think you're right. The anonymity factor on Twitter is is a problem. You get a lot of the trolls sort of just mixing around and then they, they post, you know, vitriol at, uh, at whatever you're saying and have a, a picture of a cartoon character as their, as their profile picture. Ricky Gervais had it perfectly. With 10 numbers He's... after their name. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. why? Like, now I'm thinking almost people do that on purpose as a parody. They put 10 numbers after their name <laughs> and like you're, you're meant to think that it's some kind of, uh, is this Vladimir, is Vladimir Putin running this account? What's going on here? Doesn't make sense to me. I admit, and I'm getting these messages asking about Canada and the World Cup. I watched every second of it last night. They won in uh, San Salvador, El Salvador. That's an easy capital city to remember. Uh, 2-0 over El Salvador. They're one point away. They got two more road games in Costa Rica and Panama, and they could play. This could be in Toronto, by the way, in late March, March 29th, Sunday, uh, against Jamaica. Um, Canada, Jamaica could be, that's the last home game they've got in the qualifying, but they're going to Qatar and people are like, Greg, why, why isn't the world cup in June? This is terrible. They announced this when they gave Qatar the world cup. Here's your maximum temperature for Qatar in June when they usually have the world cup. Like at, they just had the euros this past summer. That's fine. You know, but in Qatar 42, 
Celsius, I said, 42 in June, the minimum temperature is 30. If having it in November means 30 degrees maximum in November. So, yeah, they'll still have to take like probably water breaks, uh, but 42 feels excessive. Maybe they could have thought of that. Maybe just maybe. Um, so, no World Cup in June. World Cup will be in uh, November. Anthony Farnell's a chief meteorologist. Maybe some remote broadcasts, like if we're all jumping on board here. We can get you over to the Middle East to Qatar in November. Fall, follow the team around. It'll be a moderate 30 degrees every day in November leading up to Christmas. Yeah, I, I love that idea. I, I could I could <laughs> November desert weather. <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine meteorologists in Qatar going uh, in June. Same as it was yesterday. Why are you looking at me? I told you. <laughs> Stay inside. I could tape these broadcasts all at once and then just air them every single day. Yeah, (laughs) That's right. So we've still got a winter travel advisory, but I think, uh, you know, a less messy community. I think, you know, we had the sticker shock, right, from 18 days ago, and so a less messy commute than expected. But, you know, some people still got dumped on, and obviously no school in Hamilton and Niagara today. Yeah, a little bit more snow there, and it's more uh, in that region, the anticipation that there's more to come. And it's that second wave. I've been talking about it since the weekend. Uh, It's going to miss us for the most part in Toronto, but once you get around Hamilton and especially into Niagara, I think it's going to snow for much of today and and into the night. So uh, another five to... 10 centimeters expected there but uh boy it was raining all day yesterday and every time we got a millimeter of rain i'm like well that's a centimeter less snow that we're going to see out of this one so uh it it did uh snow last night it finally switched over but uh, greg it it really uh we didn't see the amounts that we were once predicting here in the city no, our uh, collective friend at uh, Q107, the legendary John Derringer, described it as uh, as he was shoveling back-breaking snow because the, <laughs> it wasn't the light, fluffy stuff we had a couple times uh, last week and, and not even the stuff we got um, the morning of the big storm where it was, it was so cumbersome but fluffy. This was, this was hard as a rock on your shovel um, given the rain was mixing with what we already had. Yeah, and there were puddles everywhere. I know a lot of the big snow banks uh, around town uh, have prevented that that water that melt to go into the sewer system, so just puddles all over the place, and then of course you get snow and there's uh, a quick freeze. So it is it is messy this morning. Don't uh, fool yourself if you haven't gone out the door. I know the plows, uh, at least in my neighborhood, are, are a lot uh, more active. They're able to get ahead of these because it wasn't the same snowfall rates that we had, and and of course it's it's. Just cloudy now. So, uh, yeah, overall, we, we escaped the worst. This is a huge system, though. It extends uh, right now from Quebec all the way down to central Texas, where there's an ongoing ice storm. So uh, it's a massive system disrupting travel everywhere. Uh, we, we escaped the worst this time around, though. Anthony Farnell, chief meteorologist from Global News, our guest. And the weekend shapes up uh, just again, that sort of Arctic cold in the evening. So um, we've talked about this. If you don't shovel from the areas that you need to shovel from in front of your house, walkways in front of condos and apartment buildings, uh, it's going to be really slick. Because what are we? What are we down to? Minus fourteen, minus fifteen, both the next couple nights after tonight. That is. Yeah, yeah. So we have this snowpack out there that now has become rather dense, and uh, that may have repercussions down the road for, for the spring melt because there's a lot of water content, but uh, it's not going to melt anytime soon. You mentioned the cold at night, even daytime highs well below freezing through the middle of next week, but we're also not going to add any more significant snow. I don't see any big storms, uh, no major thaws, but no big storms. So it's just uh, some sunshine. And you know what? Now that we're into February, 
we had some sun a couple of days ago. It's starting to feel good out there, and uh, I, I'm I'm excited for for spring <laughs> as I look out my, <laughs> my window at what I'm seeing in my backyard. Well, we sometimes have those February uh, lulls in the action where we get like a couple days where it's like five, six, seven degrees. I don't see it like over the next ten days based on any forecast, but. Is there any optimism? Because that's what's really going to melt everything off our lawns, away from our, our basements, away from our windows, anything where we start to stress about flooding and our rooftops as well. Any yeah, kind no, of three-day stretch that you see that could potentially do that in the next few weeks? I, I don't see it. Sometimes those are, are hard to predict. But uh, what I do see is uh, this rebuilding of uh, the polar vortex, the cold that uh, is going to knock on our door again before this winter's done. So uh, we just came off a very cold January, coldest since 2015 around these parts. And uh, February, while not to that level, I think is, is still going to be a, a colder than normal month. And there's more snow on the way. Even though it's not in the next week, believe me, there, there's a few more of these, these systems coming. Anthony Farnell bringing us the latest chief meteorologist as we head towards the weekend. Thanks very much as always for, uh, for making time for our listeners, Anthony. Appreciate it. No problem. Have a great day. You got it. Uh the rock hall of fame in, uh, Cleveland, Ohio, 17 nominees. They'll, uh, They'll cut that down to seven. A Rock Hall voter is a friend of mine who's written for Rolling Stone magazine uh, and has come on. We get the pulse of New York City sometimes from him. I always love chatting music and bigger things than music with him. He is Rob Tannenbaum. It's great to have you on. It's a relief to be able to talk about something stupid at this point. <laughs> and argue about Devo's hats, uh, yeah. which, we'll, uh, which we'll get to at some point in time. There's always an artist that you go, this is obvious. This this band is getting in right away. Is is that act here on this list of 17 artists uh, that you'll have to call down uh, to seven to potentially go in? Yeah. Uh, by the way, I've been looking at this list. Um, if I knew who I'm going to vote for, I wouldn't tell you. You can't. But, right. but I don't know who I'm going to vote for. Um, is, is there a duh, of course, on this list? I mean, there, there are a few of them. This list of, is full of people who, at one point or another, will get into the Rock Hall. Uh, who goes in first? I don't know. There are bands that have been ignored, or I should say artists who've been ignored for a long time, like Duran Duran. I'm pretty sure this is the first time they've been nominated. Uh, and it represents a real approach to the 80s that the Rock Hall is going to have to deal with at some point. You know, the, the Rock Hall's heart is in the origins of rock and roll, 50s, 60s, the 70s with punk rock. And then it starts to become a little bit of a mystery. Um, they've had, they've struggled to figure out what to do with subsequent decades I love the fact that this list is almost completely contemporary, except for Dionne Warwick, because mm -hmm. it seems like sometimes when they're reaching a, a year that they're kind of afraid of new bands, adding new bands, they go back to the past, right? And Dick Dale or it's somebody who, I don't for all I know, Dick Dale is in the Hall of Fame. Um, they, go to the, they go back to the past because that's safe and easy to do. Everyone knows that Dionne Warwick was a great singer, right? You're not going to find people on the internet arguing about Dionne Warwick. 
arguing about Duran Duran, sure. So I basically, I like what the hall has been doing. I think you make a great point about the 80s because um, the 90s hit and grunge kicked in and, and also rap kicked in um, as more prominent. I don't think we knew what to do with the 80s. I think MTV didn't know. I think radio didn't know. I'm sure there's artists that you and I looked at and and were like, oh, I used to listen because we turned our back on clothes and politics and we turned our back on a lot to do with the 80s. And Duran Duran persevered and survived. They they kicked and clawed their way back in. But to your point, the Rock Hall didn't know what to do with the 80s. I think what two, two twice in the last half decade, they put the cure in when they got to play. And then the first COVID year, they put Depeche Mode in. Well, yeah. they've been eligible for a long time, too. And I think the if somebody was if someone was considered '80s, even though these are bands, Rob, for our listeners, they still they could announce an arena tour with a snap of a finger yeah. and sell out forty arenas in forty two nights in America. Um, and so, yeah, there's there's been that push back towards it where um, it was it, it's now understood, especially with the bands that have persevered, like the Durans and like the two I mentioned. I can name you some lousy bands that have been around for a long time. Just because you've been around for a long time doesn't mean you deserve to get in. There are bands, the New York Dolls, I mean, in their first phase, they made two records. Sex Pistols made one record. Joy Division made two records. They should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. They don't have the longevity, but so what? So it's part of what goes on here is that voters aren't really clear on what the parameters are and it ends up being who do I like you know they when I look at the ballot and I decide who I'm going to vote for I don't like wasting a vote so when I look at this list I probably wouldn't vote for a tribe called quest because I don't think they're going to get in I think that would be a wasted vote I also probably wouldn't vote for rage against the machine because I'm about 99% sure they are going to get in and they don't need my vote. So, it, you know, and to a certain extent, you can think about, does someone deserve to get in? I'm not much of a Judas Priest fan. Do I feel like they deserve to get in? Yeah, probably. Am I going to vote for them over someone I really like? Devo? I don't know. I'm going to have to figure that out. Rob Tannenbaum joining us from New York City. We're talking about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame nominees, 17 of them uh, that will get uh, sliced down in the spring to seven. Um, Pat Benatar is on the list. And I again, I won't ask you if you're voting for Pat Benatar, but um, I think this is like Tina Turner last year, long overlooked. The, when I told people who kind of don't aren't geeking out like you and I do about it, and they say Tina Turner's not in. Come on. What's love got to do with it? Big comeback, big movie, all that stuff. No, she's in with Ike. Um, Pat Benatar reminds me of that era where it was really, I think, hard to be a female solo artist and especially Robin in the rock world. And Benatar was, if we're, if we're making sports analogies, she was having all-star season after all-star season, really 81 yeah. through about 85. You couldn't get, get away from her on the radio. It was hit after hit. And I bet you it was hard. I've heard Joan Jett talk about it's hard, right? The audience is there to hear your songs, but they're also yelling show us your boobs. And I think right. for Chrissy Hind in, in the pretenders and even Deb, Debbie Harry and Blondie, they got that cover of a band. If that makes sense, Pat's out on her own. Joan Jett's out on her own. Um, yeah. th th that that's harder. And I think I'd, this is one I'd really like to see happen and have wanted to for a long time. I would just give, give me that sense of her arc and how strong she was for as long as she was. 
Well, she she survived into the MTV years too. I mean, if you, I, I we're we're on the radio, so I can't do the dance. But you know what I mean, where she leans her shoulders <laughs> in and does the. the There's a shimmy. Hat. It looks like a touchdown celebration. Yeah, I got it. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's the icky shuffle. <laughs> if if you are a person of a certain age and you see someone do that, you know exactly what they're referring to. Uh, I agree. Benatar is an interesting case because she really was an AOR artist, an album rock artist. And the rock hall has its roots in Rolling Stone magazine. And not as much anymore, but for a very, very long time, it followed the tastes of Rolling Stone. If you were a band that did not get good reviews in that magazine, then you probably weren't going into the rock hall. That has loosened up a lot. Uh, probably the best example is Rush, but Kiss and Bon Jovi are examples too. Even though Bon Jovi got in because he lobbied for it with people who were on the nominating committee, which is embarrassing. Like if you if you're lobbying to get into the Rock Hall, that's disqualifying to get into the Rock Hall. Uh, so there's the Hall is starting to get a little more populist now, and it's possible that Benatar will will get in on the populist vote. I think there's always um, quirks for UK acts. Um, and and like I said, got Depeche Mode, The Cure, they had to sort of transcend, show that they don't necessarily have their songs hit the radio. The Cure is not very prolific on the radio anymore. But but yeah, they announce a tour and they can make it work. I think about artists like Eurythmics who had, again, absolutely everywhere on the radio for eight years. And everybody knows who Annie Lennox is. And Dave Stewart's a great producer. Um, Kate Bush is tricky, really eclectic, never toured. Most people do only know running up that hill. You and I know a lot more. I th- always think that, that UK artists have that. It's it's just a uh, there's an escalator for some um, American bands and acts. And I think the UK acts sometimes have to take the stairs. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I think so. Uh, and in terms of talking about how the, the hall has developed, uh, uh, developed is the wrong word, um, changed over the last few years. I wrote a, an article for Billboard magazine in 2015 about all the things that were wrong with the Rock Hall. And I talked to a number of people who were on the nominating committee, none of whom would talk to me on the record with, with using their own names because they were terrified of getting thrown off of the nominating committee. But there's one person, a you know, very well-known journalist, who said to me, you and I will die before Depeche Mode gets into the rock hall. <laughs> and here you are. That's a really <laughs> I'm not dead yet. Um, maybe by the end of this interview. Yeah, you don't know. Yeah. Or, or before we can see Depeche Mode play live again. I mean, that, that's part. <laughs> you just don't know. Right. Just six years ago, it seemed like that would never happen. And, and now it's not quite routine, but not uncommon. Lionel Richie. Whether he's he's certainly more well known as a solo artist than the Commodores, but but I think given that there's been some homage paid to R and B acts, I think maybe there's some audience members going the Commodores aren't in, and they're not. I mean, like Earth, Wind, and Fire, Chic, everything Nile Rodgers has touched, those are acts that that are in. Um, it's like Lionel Richie solo again on the radio nonstop. We are the world uh, video era. But then, but he probably does, he probably is known for just heading out and playing 20 songs to people our age or 10 or 15 years older. Yeah. Um, th- but this is a name I think I, it, I, it, j- it jabbed me at first, Rob, because I'm like, he's not in already? A little like the Tina Turner thing. Well, he's a pop guy, 
right? He's a, mm-hmm. he's a soft pop guy. And if you're going to get in as an R&B artist or a black artist, it helps if the music you're playing is, is a little harder. There was a time when it would have been unimaginable for Lionel Richie to, to be in the Rock Hall. I mean, you know, back in the 80s, there was no Rock Hall yet. Or, well, I guess there was in 83. Um, if you had said the first year of the Rock Hall, will Lionel Richie get in? Absolutely not. But time has a way of mellowing people's opinions mm-hmm. about hugely popular artists. If, if in 1984 you didn't like Lionel Richie, you thought he was soft and corny, um, now you're listening, you know, when you hear BTS, Maybe you think like, oh, you know what? It wasn't so bad after all. Years later, a few decades later, we're able to see artists with that with, with clearer eyes, I think. Yeah, I like the way to put that. There's a big um three I think it's the mixtape tour and it's new kids and and uh somebody else. And I think there's people going who are in their fifties who would never have gone to see them when they were 18 or 19 and at the height of fame, but we do love, um, we do love nostalgia. Um, Rob Tannenbaum joining us from New York city. Love that you uh, walked us through that. And, uh, and I hope uh, again, you and I talk about the music industry a ton and I hope it, it like the rest of the planet gets back on its axis. We got all these bands waiting to tour. We've got retirement tours for a bunch of septuagenarians. They've been waiting to Elton John's going to be in his eighties by the time he finishes this three and a half year (laughs) retirement tour. His farewell tour started in his 60s and it's ending in his 80s. Yeah, he's had some time to make some commercials with Lil Nas X in the middle of his retirement tour. We didn't see that coming uh, 23 months ago, like so many uh, so many other things. Thanks for being a part of the show and, and uh, digging in deep with me on uh, on something I love and, and you love as well. We really it's good for these times to um, to breathe it out a little bit and do something different. Thank you very much for the time. Always good to talk to you, Greg. We can talk again when the uh, inductees are announced. Thanks for listening to Toronto Today. We're back with a live show tomorrow. The Beijing Olympics starting to really kick into gear. And we'll talk about whether or not we can put politics aside, fully dig into them. That's on tomorrow's Toronto Today. Thanks very much for finding us and for listening to the podcast. We're on live tomorrow on 640 Toronto, 530 a.m. to 9 a.m.